1: This is the Dot Black Dad podcast. My name is Marvin Harrison. You may have not heard my voice on this podcast for some time. I think it's been about six weeks, two months, which in my world is very long. Dot Black Dad was birthed as my child, my ideation, my idea baby. And it's now evolved into something way bigger than I am, which is fantastic. And, you know, I took a break. But not really just to take a break for some sort of grand reason. I really just wanted to put new voices on the podcast after four years of talking about all my experiences and challenges and observations uh, on everything from race to mental health to social issues to child cue to, you know, fighting Sankaras and meditations and whatever. um, I thought actually it'd be really good to hear from some new men, some new dads on their experiences and what's going on for them. They've been doing an incredible job. I actually now listen as a fan, which is quite new. Um, and actually, Marcus and Numar have been fantastic in keeping the uh, baton going, but I was a little bit disappointed last week when uh, Marcus was able to interview Will Packard, the film producer who's worked with pretty much everyone that's big in Black Hollywood and beyond, uh, and he's just got a film out called Beast with Idris Elba, and we spoke to him, um, which came out a couple of weeks ago, an amazing person, I was very jealous, I wanted to... Um, use my influence to kick him off the podcast for a week and take over, um, which I was like, you know, fine, fair enough. I can't do that. I won't throw my way around. I'll accept. Uh, I was on a break. But then when they told me that this person was on, I was like, excuse me, sir, <laughs> you need to take a seat. <laughs> this is my podcast. Um, and so this person is someone that, you know, when you kind of you're online and then you end up following someone that you don't know particularly well but and everything they say makes sense and you're just like oh you're a very intelligent person i'm just gonna follow and observe then you get very comfortable and then you feel like you're friends and you're not and it's weird and then so after a very long period of of following i just reached out and i can't remember what i said but it's probably something very nice and complimentary and then we've caught up a couple of times since then um and my favorite thing about the black experience is that i i can just do that there's no other context other than you're like black and doing something dope and i like the things that you say and then i reach out and say hi i do some things and if any of those things can help you they're available to you it's literally my most favorite thing to do and i've discovered some incredible people um in that way but today i have Azrea harvey how are you
3: i'm good i'm very very good i've been working from home and i didn't go carnival so i'm very well rested
1: why didn't you go carnival? I know why I didn't go. We'll both have our confessions. We're two very culturally influential human beings. I feel like that's where we should be at that point, no? What, what was your excuse?
3: Um, I think, well, it's because I was not prepared for the potential of the potential potential size of the crowds, considering people haven't been for like a couple of years now. So I was thinking, I'm sure it'll be very good, but I think it will be a bit too lit for me. And plus, school's starting up again, and I work in education so I'm gonna be I worked from some from home all summer. Um and I'm gonna be back out in schools again soon. So I thought let me this first actually, so I thought let me mentally prepare for the my working week ahead.
1: Now I'm not I'm not being intentionally um difficult here, but we we know Carnival has too many people that turn up. We know this, right? But we've been before. What what was this yeah. this year? You just felt like the hype of it being the first one in the ages was gonna be overwhelming. Are you normally know yeah. in crowds, by the it's, way? What'd you say, sorry? Are you normally know overwhelmed in crowds? Um
3: it really depends. It really depends. I don't I don't really enjoy festivals for that reason. I just feel like when there's too many people in one place, it's a completely different vibe. You get to a point where the amount of bodies changes the vibe. Um and I'm not averse to it, but it's not my favourite. It's not my favourite thing. Like I don't mind a good event. But two million people, that's a lot.
1: <laughs> it is and um, before we get into carnival just to contextualize yourself so um i, I would call you a moderator and whenever i do deliveries or i do education and uh a part of it is like follow some in- influential black voices people who are just being and are on point and you get a tone of voice from them so your name is always on that list and so if you get really random people from companies just following you uh, it's probably just because in every keynote you're in you're on the slides so it's, it's, it's a really good introduction um like how would you communicate who you are and what you do
3: um well I mean professionally I am a qualified teacher and an anti-racism consultant um yeah that's where my professional and academic experience kind of lies um and then outside of that I would describe myself as a writer and uh, yeah, presenter slash moderator, like you said, I guess. I really do enjoy moderating, it's very fun.
1: For for those people who are not well versed in content creation and panels and events and stuff, what would you actually say a moderator is and what's your gift that makes you a good moderator?
3: Um a moderator is someone who maintains kind of like the quality of a of a of a public discussion, I would say. So like, I'm, I'm like the quality controller, so I make sure we're talking about all the relevant points. I make sure you know I'm giving people guidance as we go through it. You know what we're moving on to next, making sure the pace is okay. Kind of like, and you also have to engage on a personal level as well with the with the people on the panel that you're working with. You have to infuse a bit of like your own opinions and thoughts and experiences, etc. Um, and I feel like what makes me a good moderator, I just really love talking, but also I'm a teacher, so. I do this every day I do this every day I, I, I impart ideas and I have to guide people and I have to kind of help people get to the answer without giving it to them so it's kind of just yeah it's it's, it's, it's in the work that I do
1: What would you say your, your gift is?
3: I feel I am extremely empathetic and I feel like I I'm really good at I don't know what the right word is but in terms of like People's minds, and I have great reasoning skills. I have great reasoning skills, so I feel like those two things as well kind of help with the moderating as well. um I feel like you can give me any scenario, and I and I can see multiple perspectives and multiple viewpoints, and kind of like understand where someone is coming from, even if it fills me with rage, and even if it and even if I think it's a really really stupid opinion to have, I can still kind of see. Okay, I know why you think this. So yeah,
1: how, how do you navigate? stupid opinions as someone who is online and who shares their thoughts with the world. And then, you know, you've, you've been on Black Chat, Black Chat before, sorry. Um, how do you navigate the most absurd, something that really offends you internally, but like, how, how do you navigate what to say and how to handle those things?
3: I think outside of work, I'm getting worse as I get older. My tolerance is just decreasing, but in terms of work and in terms of my professional life, I feel like when I meet people, Obviously the work that I do is anti-racism, so it's very controversial, it's very emotional um, and it's extremely deep-rooted and for me, if I want to change people's understanding, if I want people to kind of engage with anti-racism work in a positive way, irrespective of what they say or how wrong it or problematic it may be, I always have to essentially redirect I I have to tell people that they're wrong you know I have to tell people that their views are problematic so it's not that I get to avoid difficult conversations but you do it in a way that kind of empowers them as opposed to makes them feel making them feel ridiculous Um, I can't say I take approach online I literally tell people to shut up I'm not about to debate with you be for real but that's not how I talk to people that I meet and people that I have actual relationships with um, in real life because it's just not helpful. And I'm actually working on my online professionalism. I, yeah, it's not up to scratch.
1: <laughs> Ooh, when you say working on, what does that actually look like? Is that, is that a filter? Is that a deep work? Is that a therapy session? What, what, what does that look like?
3: I really, um, I, I have to be very careful with what I choose to engage in online. Um, because just by naturally by virtue of being on the internet, you lose empathy, you lose compassion you know, you lose that level of respect because when you communicate things like tone of voice, body language, facial expressions, is all integral to understanding someone and seeing where they're coming from. So when you speak to people online, all of those elements are missing and you've just got these words on the screen. You interpret them how you want, you know, you you project onto what they're saying. You kind of miss their point entirely. You can even miss whole context because you might see a tweet or something in isolation. Um, So I tend to just actually steer away from talking about controversial things online um, because I don't feel... I don't feel it is the right platform for me because I also get very emotional and think I, I internalise a lot. And I've learned that past couple of years. You'll notice like I don't really tweet threads as such. I don't get into debates online anymore. I'm working on my own things in the real world that will translate online. But I don't want online to be my main source of communication because I just think it's extremely
1: flawed. Mm. Uh correct me if, if if I'm wrong or overstepping my mark here, but I think I saw something on your on one of your pages, I think it might be Instagram about your body image. And that's and that's an area which online is just a big conversation and people don't have care when they're communicating it. They just get very personal very directional straight away. What prompted you to to talk about that in online in that way?
3: Um, can you me what you're talking about I'm trying to think
1: I, I feel like there was something to do with body images I think you were saying that you're you're bigger than you were a few years ago and you've learned to love yourself
3: oh yes 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 I know what you're talking about it was just I just noticed how much weight I've put on especially since leaving teaching whereas I sit down a lot more um, and I'm at a desk a lot more I'm just not as active and I've put on weight I think my metabolism is slowing down as I'm getting older and I remember I used to naturally be really skinny um and over the past like four, four or five years, I've really put on a significant amount of weight. Like you can see the difference in my body. And this is the first time I've got to it. And I thought, okay, I'm going to have to start actually working to maintaining like a physique that I like. Um, and I think, but at the same time, I kind of like that I've put on weight because it's always, I always wanted to be bigger. But then I thought to myself, you know, you think about you think about getting bigger. And then I started thinking, oh, well, I haven't had kids yet. What if I just keep getting bigger? What if I just get pregnant and put on weight? And I cut started almost catastrophizing a little bit. And that's why I posted it. And a lot of women were like, oh, my gosh, get to 30, your body changes. And we were just laughing and joking. And like since then, I haven't really thought about it, to be honest. And I feel like sometimes when you just kind of put things out there, just acknowledging that you just people acknowledging that you are not the only person who has fought this in and of itself can be so therapeutic and so cathartic and you can kind of just let it go. Um, and it feels more normal. So, so yeah, that was just on a whim, really. I just was quite fascinated at the
1: difference in my body. What, what, what then is that the boundary of what you do share and don't share? It, obviously, from my perspective, talking about fatherhood, I inherently talk about how I'm raised by my mom and my dad you know, how I'm raising my children and stuff about my wife and just past relationships, all of that stuff kind of bleeds into it. And then you forget that people are listening and I've had to learn not for any major faults yet, but like just learn to actually the things that I'm informally speaking about actually go out to thousands of people every week. How Mm. how do you create boundaries in terms of what you do share and don't share?
3: Um, I think about this a lot. And I think for me, like, even when you look at my, even when I look at my content, like, if I feel like it feels very intimate and it feels very personal, but at the same time, I don't divulge really private details about my life. That's not how it kind of, that's not how it kind of works. I feel like if I have a, usually what I share, I share because I'm like, I know other people think I feel like this. I know they do. I know it's not just me kind of thing. Or, um, or I'm, I'm, or I'm looking for that being like, okay, this is how I'm feeling. I need someone else to tell me I'm not mad. I need someone else to tell me that this is completely common and frequent amongst whatever demographic, whoever it may be. Um, and I feel, I just, I like to share things that I feel are helpful. So there've been times like I've spoken about, you know, like relationships and about my relationships but it wasn't about any individual it wasn't about any particular it wasn't about like intimate details of any particular situation it was more kind of like how i perceived those things and the things i've learned from those things um so i feel like anything that i feel like is going to help other people or help myself come to grips with what I'm going through or what I've been through. So there's certain things I talk about in hindsight, like when I, when I shared the fact that I um, got into the master's course of my choice, it was only once I got into that master's course where I felt, okay, cool. Cause in my mind, I'm like, okay, cool. This is, this is indicative of the fact that even if things do go wrong for you in a certain, in a certain part of your life, for my example, it was like university and just that higher education I'm coming out the other end and I was quite proud and so many people DM me like I was going to do my masters or I got rejected or I wasn't sure or I'm getting old so many people and I was really shocked by how much I was really shocked by how much traction that particular post got um so when I see stuff like that it just reminds me that everyone is good we all live in the same life man just obviously to varying degrees at different times but we all live in the same life it's crazy
1: yeah How how close are you to the to the little girl that you know was growing up and wanted to be something you know would that person look at you now and be like i'm glad we made it or what would the feedback be in that little girl
3: i think she i think she'd say to me like i'm so glad you're like finally being 100% yourself and i, I say 100% I've, I've i i think she would be happy with the amount, the growth that i've made and i say growth um But really, I mean, almost like going backwards and I feel like you're always evolving, you're always changing. But I feel like there was a point where I was so unsure about if my qualities were actually qualities, if my talents were actually talents. Was it only me who was perceiving myself like that? And I'm 100% still working on it every single day. I was literally watched a bunch of talks yesterday about increasing your self-confidence. So I'm definitely working on that. But I feel like I'm the surest about who I am. That I've been in my entire life. I just need to get that confidence now to be able to continue to share more and more, and just do do things that align with who I am. I feel like when I look in the mirror, I'm I'm, I'm not com- I'm not confused when I look at myself, but I'm still working on how I present my true self to to everybody else. But we're getting there.
1: What 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 was the confusion? I, you know, you've been obviously on a bit of a journey. You've gone. I actually did search you as we were speaking earlier, and. Um, Saw that you had a song with like Pepstar about eight years ago. You had your own song a couple of years ago. So there was like an artist element. Is that is that part of you no longer present?
3: Um, so I wanted to be a singer from when I was like a tiny babe. I was a little girl. I always wanted to be a singer. I started recording first when I was about 19. I worked tirelessly for two years. Like I would record until one in the morning. I would go and record after work. I'd get up, go to uni, go and record again after uni. I was recording for years. It didn't work out and the stuff I was making was trash but I tried that long and after it didn't work out I became really despondent and I kind of let it go and then I just started recording again and then I was being really wishy-washy with that and I put stuff out just a few years ago I think 2018 maybe was the last time I put something out and I was on an EP and stuff and I was recording yeah 2019 2019 actually I'll tell a lie 2020 February 2020 was the last time I performed um after i put on my ep and i had a, had a headline show and i'd done it and i just had to sit down and be honest with myself i was like maybe you wanted to be a singer when you was a little girl but you don't want to be a singer anymore and that's okay like you don't have to feel like you've failed just because you don't want to do it and i sincerely don't want to be a singer i have no interest in being a part of that industry i have no interest in the photo shoots and the interviews and the you know videos and I, I love to sing but that's literally where it starts and ends and there was a point where i had to sit down and be like you don't have to do this. Like it's okay. You something else. And so I'm really embracing that other stuff. And when I and when I really knew that to be certain is when I got into anti-racism work because the fulfillment and the sense of like accomplishment that I get out of doing that work doesn't compare to anything I've ever done before in my life. And that's when I was like, you can sing, but that's not that's not your purpose. Basically, I was like, that's not that's not what God sent you here to do. So we need to start re-evaluating.
1: Mm. You mentioned your anti-racism work is very personal, and I I, I do it also. I actually pull away from. I do less and less personally delivery than I ever have done, largely because like um, I just found myself like uh, reliving up things and having to go to therapy to remember because I'm talking so much about very personal things. Like, so my way of delivery was always educational, but with stories in between um, and giving context that relate to my life. And I just found like I didn't enjoy it when I took those stories out. I also just found that I was really shredding myself constantly Like going to the core of all these memories All these things that happened All the things that I remember Um, And it just took a lot of processing I just remember being exhausted a lot I found myself crying on a delivery one day To like a council (laughs) Talking about council services And how important it is that like you know, minorities and marginalized groups can can confide in their counsel and feel like they're not gonna get evicted because they share too much, like they need it to be a relatively safer environment than not. And um, you know, and I could see everybody nodding and I I really just thought about what my mum probably had to go through. Like I know most of her story, but I'm sure there's bits she just didn't tell me. And I was like, I'm sitting there crying on a Zoom call and now and everyone was very nice about it. I was like, this doesn't feel like healthy a healthy thing to do or a healthy space to be doing this. So uh, and that happened about 18 months ago and I haven't really picked it up consistently since then. When you speak about it being a lot, what were what the experiences that you face in delivering anti-racism?
3: I think luckily, because of the work that we do, we work in schools, a lot of the schools that we, I would say 90% of the schools that we work with, um, well, all of the schools that we work with approach us. So they're already engaged in anti-racism on some level, even if it's like, my you, even if it's the lowest level, they are, they are embarking on this. And even if it's just a small amount of people, it might just be the SL team. It might just be the head teacher. Someone in the institution wants to work on anti-racism. And so you always have that, well, most of the time, you have that way in and you have that one person who sees the vision and who understands, even if they don't understand necessarily racism, they understand why it's important and they understand why they need to do the work. So that takes a load off because I was worried before I started, that I would have to consistently deal with people being really ignorant, people being, you know, really hateful, saying really, really demeaning and degrading things. And just, I thought, I thought I was going to leave places furious, but I I don't. And I'm grateful that I get to work with people who, and there's always people who are, you know, going to have problematic views. There's always people who are not going to agree, who are going to be contrarian, you know, but for the most part, I work with people who are engaged and that is enough. For me, because I see the change that we've made in schools that we work in, and I've seen how we've like, you know, bettered the experience of the pupils that are affected by our work. And as draining as it can be, I have a great, my my, t- my team at work are great. Um, and you know our wellbeing is 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 always prioritised. And if for whatever reason I did need a break, if for whatever reason it was getting too much, I know that I could I know that I could communicate that and get the time and space that I needed. But I think for the most part. The reason why it feels so fulfilling and the reason why I can do it irrespective of how difficult it can be and how emotionally draining it can be is because for as long as I can remember, I have wanted to do something that made a difference. And I know it sounds so cliche and everybody says it, but literally I, d- I don't do anything. I don't do anything unless I feel like it's making a difference somewhere, somehow, Um I just, I can't, I can't, I can't stay tuned in. I can't stay focused. I can't, I can't concentrate on something. Um, so I, I need that element if I'm going to ex- excel at anything at all. And so that just works out really well for me because it means that I get to do really, really important work in the process. And I think that's probably what keeps me going. The fact that I know how desperately this stuff is needed and I know that I have the ability to do it.
1: mm mm-hmm. We were talking earlier about Carnival and we said that we both didn't go. Um, You were just observing the sheer scale of it and probably the insanity that will probably ensue uh, and how hype it would become. Uh, I'm abroad um, with my children on summer holiday. I think my excuse is better than yours. I'm just saying that right now. Um, (laughs) And um, it it, it just feels like, uh, like I, I obviously I'm watching everybody's feed uh, my friend uh, Jason Black, who has an agency called Home, he's done, he's got this amazing float and it looks so much fun. Everybody was, you know, looking like they're having a great time. Uh, I saw a Benjart float that looked really amazing. It, it looked like, by and large, like it was more fun. Um, and then I, I wake up uh, uh, this morning and I see that um, the headlines around it. There's no headlines around it being fun, being one of the biggest you know, most attractive tourism experiences that the UK has, that it's a free, you know, party for everybody in the middle of a cost-of-living crisis, you know, some really amazing escapism moments, the culture, the music, why Carnival existed, the history of it, what, you know, what that meant to the local people in the area. None of that existed in any of the feedback. I think I saw one outlet, and I want to say it was Sky News, who just had a neutral headline of it happened and it's back everybody else led with the crime rates and then i tweeted about it and i was just saying that the actual crime rates in relation to the amount of people in carnival is relatively low and and somebody did lose their life so rest in peace to that young black man he was actually from bristol he was an artist himself um so rest in peace to him um for sure um but like when we talk about reading and leeds or glastonbury we never talk about it through the lens of crime it's always the performance the art the atmosphere this was the best gastonbury ever you know and and i and and i i don't want to just leap to the fact that it's racism at play but have you seen that dialogue and that conversation about how carnival is communicated i mean well
3: first of all it's not a leap it is blatantly racism like that's exactly what it is and yeah i've seen i've seen the negatives to be fair i'm I'm saying i've seen i've heard my mum has been you know, shouting up to me from downstairs, telling me all this stuff that's been going on. Um, I've been working all day today, so I haven't actually looked, but I did did see the information and the details about that young man and it actually broke my heart. And that's another reason why, again, I'm like, I'm very careful about what media I engage in. Um, Like that particular story is probably something I will look up just because it's very relevant um, for the work that I do. And when you can accumulate these stories to present to people, you know, you have like a, a, a... you have a stronger, you have stronger leverage when you can give them real world, world examples that is happening right now. Um, so I'll definitely engage with that. But the whenever I see stuff like this, I, and I, I have a, it used to be, it actually used to be my Twitter name. Literally everything is about race. Like if you want to talk about a certain food, if you want to talk about a certain music, if you want to talk about a certain style, if you want to talk about um, certain like political policies, ideologies, etc., etc. we can, we can find race somewhere in them because it's so insidious. Like the f- systems that we work on are literally, this country is built. This country is built on racism. So many, so many countries are built off the back of racism. And, and so as much as I know people are, oh, you know, we don't want to make it about race. We're not making it about race. We're not leaping to it. It is, it's, it's race. It's racism. The way that they, and, and a lot of this as well, one thing that I learned during, one thing that I learned during this during during this anti-racism work is a lot of the time this stuff is so ingrained and it's so deep rooted these biases are so implicit so one news one news outlet takes this, takes, has this, has this racist, has this racist lens when they look at Nine Hill Carnival. They don't sit down and actively go, right, how can we spin this as badly as possible? I'm sure some do, but not necessarily every, not every, not every newsroom is necessarily going to do that. They sit down and they can't help it. They see a bunch of black people having fun. They see a bunch of black people together, you know, being loud, being expressive, you know, dancing, being very physical. And they see threat, they see intimidation They see danger, they literally That's how they feel to us You know, that's how, it's it's like It's like like glasses that these people have on And that's how they perceive anything that we have anything to do with And so the fact that all of these things Are popping up, popping up, popping up It doesn't surprise me at all And it's what I, sadly It's what I expect Um, And I feel like And honestly when people say Oh you know how do we combat it I couldn't give you an answer I couldn't give you an answer right now. It's something that I need to think of, but I don't necessarily think it starts with. It starts long before Notting Hill Carnival. The work we need to do starts long before you know people actually go out on the floats and the millions of people are in the street dancing. These people had their mind made up about Notting Hill Carnival at its inception. You know these these headlines are not these headlines are not new. Um, And so as much as, again, I want people to be aware of the realities out there. I also want people to protect their peace. And, you know, if you have happy videos from Carnival, if you if you remember it as a good time, you know, beyond paying your respects, being respectful of the people that have passed, you know, sharing, sharing well wishes, etc. Things like that. Don't feel, you know. Obligated to engage in these difficult conversations because you can't engage in every every single one of them. And if you just want to think of Carnival fondly, then people should feel comfortable to do that. I feel like we can sometimes feel, as Black people, like, you know, we have to give our two pence, we have to, you know, share our disgust, we have to share our opinions. And it's just not healthy for us.
1: Mm. I I feel, um, so when I posted it, it was actually just like a quaint observation. So it wasn't like I, I was going to bat on the subject or I felt particularly hard done but I'm pretty used to the coverage of blackness in this country um, and especially around it's almost as if like they don't actually update what they think they know it's just like oh it's carnival we're just gonna look at the crime rates like I, I genuinely feel like Drake, Beyonce Kanye West could have come out and done a, a YMCA dance in the middle of the street and they, they would have forgot to cover that and the headline would still be the crime rate um, of the actual um, uh, a carnival um, and I think when we talk about reading and Leeds, like you know, someone died from a drug overdose, uh, ecstasy. He was 16 years old. Like, and it's not really like this is more important than that. Someone died at carnival. We should cover that and honor that. A 16 year old died taking drugs at a festival. That's a really big problem. He's 16, like taking ecstasy. And we should be looking into like why does he feel like he needs to take ecstasy at 16 years old? What world is happening? Why is it so available? In Reading, and what was the protocols after it happened? Where were the emergency services? Why is that not an indictment on? I think, sorry, I think it was the Leeds festival of, of it. You know, I just I just feel like it's the um, it's almost like a pre written script, and it, and then I think when you get sucked into the script, you end up adhering to their narrative of whatever is going on. You end up abandoning your own mission to fight their narrative. And it's a bit like when something goes on with Meghan and Harry and that they don't even bother to even consider does it make sense? They're just like the podcast was a failure. But then it's like the most listened to podcast in the world. Like right now, it's at number one in 10 countries. It's just stuff like that. It's just stupid. Um, And so a part of my probably evolution of of speaking on the black experience is to really choose my battles um, and, and be more considered when I speak because we, I already know what the challenge is, and unless I'm inside these organisations or in these spaces to make that direct change and have impact, sometimes just the platforming of it can just be like unnecessarily distracting. Do do you have a view about your contribution to it now than you did maybe three, four, five years ago? What do you What do you mean? The conversation about carnival? Just a conversation around the black experience.
3: I mean. Uh... I do this Monday to Friday so for me to finish work and to come online and to speak about it even more I'm playing myself and because I know I am doing it Monday to Friday I don't need to prove to anyone that I'm doing it so if you're not satisfied with what you see from me with regards to anti-racism that isn't my problem so but at the same time if there's an opportunity and I feel like I have enough of a purview to make you know, a valuable contribution to the discussion, then I absolutely will. Um, But I also need to be careful not to isolate people because at the end of the day, I have these discussions in certain places. I still have to go into these schools and I still have to convince these people that this is a safe space. You know, they can maybe share some of their problematic or uninformed opinions and I'm still going to give them, you know, respect and I'm still going to, you know, allow them their dignity. And so I have to be careful in that respect. Um but I definitely know now that this anti-racism stuff and just championing and empowering you know black people and all people to be to be better and to make 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 the necessary change, um, I'll probably doing it be doing it for as long as long as I physically can um because it's just it's just such a huge part of me now. Um, and, I've, and I've always been very like, forthright with regards to my blackness has always been very very in- important to me um but I think as I've got older emotionally as well the way I am like my actual temperament emotionally with the way I am as a person doing this work aligns with that as well um and I've invested years now into you know educating myself on the topic and I've, I've still got more to do but
0: I think
2: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
3: Now I'm in a place where I feel confident to decide exactly when I'm going to talk, exactly when I'm contribute, And when I say, no, actually I'm not going to, I don't feel like it and I don't have to. I feel like sometimes you can get into a space and to feel especially if you're online and you're a content creator that kind of thing you're like oh my god this is an opportunity oh my god i have to talk oh my god they're expecting me to say something and i'm never i i never want to put myself in a position where I, that's what that's what drives me that's what compels me because i feel like that's when you start making a lot of like bad mistakes
1: mm. it's funny watching the other side of like it's almost like everyone goes on this like bell curve or they come in and they have very little engagement very little voice Uh, on a particular subject and then they start hitting this curve of momentum then they hit this peak where it's like everyone comes to you and I I don't want to say name, next I don't think it's fair but there's some people who just like they come out of nowhere and they they have a really great idea or they have a really good delivery on a very particular focus and area and everybody leans in on that subject and then people then expect them to be like the answer to to that problem and then after a while you know their clothes start getting better and you know, <laughs> they start they start buying designer clothes and they get more haircuts than they did before. And you know, they're taking pictures with different people now. And it's just like it, it almost as if like the easiest way to um, stop a movement is to fund it, is to start giving it money. Then everyone starts becoming really conscious of like whoa, 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 because I've got a keynote speaker, at JP Morgan, in six weeks and I don't want that to be cancelled because that's a really big thing. That would take me to another level. And then it's like, all right, then you're on Good Morning Britain and then you're on, you know, all all the different platforms that you elevate through when you start getting a tone of voice. And then quite seriously, quickly, you become not really about anything. And this is why I always want to make sure I have a actual job and purpose in it. Like it can't just be to speak about it. I actually have to have roll up my sleeves and do the work, which is why having... You know, an agency that focuses on marginalized voices and using those insights to, you know, help change or help companies with that. And then an education and training company is like me being proactive about the thing that I care about. But if I just had to keep talking about it, it's only a time before I just start making mistakes and I'm disconnected. Like, how connected can you be?
3: Are you finding out of things to say because... If you're going to keep, if you insist on talking about something, you need to be reading on that something. You need to be actively like engaging with that something. You can't just be like, oh, wow, people really, really want to listen to me talk about this and then not spend any. Like I I started doing this anti-racism work and I thought, okay, cool, I want to do this. But if I want to do it, I'm going to do it very well. I was like, I have to go back to uni. I have to get my master's because I haven't, I, I, I have, I have no choice to do it because that's the only way I personally am going to feel confident continuing doing this because the more I do it I can see myself going from strength to strength I can see myself getting better but eventually I'm going to be hit with an opportunity and I'm going to be shaking because I'm going to be like okay I'm not I'm not on this level and you know some some people take it and they wing it and they do perfectly fine I'm I'm not that person I'm not a black like at all like I just do not do well in those kind of situations so I said I need to go out and I need to Educate myself on this so that when I'm, so that I can confidently stand in front of someone and say, "Do you know what? No, you're wrong, and I'm going to tell, and I'm going to tell you why." And here's here's my my credentials. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'd like there to be that official, that official element. Um, But you know, activism and philanthropy and you know, equity, all of that stuff is lucrative now, baby. That's going to get you money, Um, even if even if you don't know, even if you don't know what you're doing, even if you don't know what you're talking about. No. As long as you can present like you do,
1: you will <sighs> Oh, hell be. You know why? Because I, I have a rule about... I don't I don't create anti-black sentiment. I just don't, because it's just not... Whatever I think, it, it's... it. The, I, I understand where they've come from to be here today. And if you find something for yourself to do something um, that puts money in your pocket that you think is helping, I'm not going to dishonor your attempt. But what is really difficult is there isn't really much of a, there's not a like-for-like like qualification to deliver on these topics. And so, in, and even if you are qualified, you're qualified in a very specific area. Um, and then to talk about it broadly. So I don't actually speak about things that I'm not, I either have a lived experience in or qualified to speak about. Um, and so what then What then ends up happening is we we have consultants. So if someone says, we want to talk about mental health in the black community, we'll find somebody with that expertise who's comfortable speaking about it. But if they specifically want to talk about gender, there's somebody else that we go and speak to. And so having a list of consultants keeps us honest and and having integrity in the topics that we're talking about. But I know people who just like have no idea and they just say what they think. And the problem is, is that then companies invest on the, sorry, on the basis of what they think and then the results don't come. And, And then they start to lose affinity to the idea of the change that they're trying to be connected connected to. And if they then they might be like, all right, maybe that one wasn't right, we go get another one. And then that doesn't work out. So without some sort of like governance, it can create its own problem where it's like you have people's attention for a specific period of time. And if you are the person that are leading that conversation and you're not qualified or informed, you're going to lead them down the wrong path. And that will impact our ability to get stuff done down the line does that do you do that make sense to you
3: yeah 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 and i feel like like me personally like even having this conversation like i don't even have anyone particular in mind it's just a general sense you get when you spend time online or you spend time on twitter and instagram and you know you go through your explore page and you see people's content and so on and so forth and you have to take everything don't even say with a pinch of salt because there's so much valuable there's so many valuable things out there. There's so many people that I love to listen to. And there's so many people that, you know, I look to them. And I think, oh, what a great example of how to do this, that or the other. But I feel like relying on anybody else to tell you what you believe is so, so, so dangerous. Mm. Uh, and I feel like that's what a lot of people do now. I think they look to certain people and they, they think, I don't know how to feel about this and then they look for someone and they think okay yeah that seems like the right thing to feel about this that seems like the right thing to think about this and that's another reason why i don't share too much online because it takes me a while it takes me a while to decide how i feel it takes me a while to decide you know what i think of the situation i don't i don't necessarily know straight away there's certain things that i might not even care about that much so i probably never will seek to find like a definitive standpoint for myself and so you don't talk on them but i feel like you know what you were saying about people just speaking and speaking, and they lead you up this path, and people invest in that, and and then it get and it gets to a point where it's almost like it's too far gone.
1: Uh-huh. Um,
3: and so that's not something that I ever that I ever want to be a part of. But more power to anyone who's who's successfully doing what they're doing and 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 swindling the man out of the money because. <laughs> um, Robert-
1: <laughs> um, the other thing I was thinking about in regards to carnival was just like what does it need like I, one of the points that i made actually i made this at the before carnival started so this would have been the saturday morning or maybe sunday morning and i was just like isn't it sad that carnival so the, the notting hill carnival trust which is the company that organizes it every year and they're the ones that have the license to put it on once a year but um, i was looking into their finances so uh, first and foremost they had a financial director who was who stole or embezzled Embezzled is a fancy word for stole uh, stole 800,000 pounds and is now in jail for 8 years um, uh, after being found guilty of doing so um, and then their reserves after running for 50 60 years or whatever is 57,000 pounds in reserves and they generate 1. maybe 3 or 4 million a year and about 80% of that is from grants from Kensington and Chelsea, the GLA, and uh, a little bit from Westminster in terms of like, security. And then they generate another like £275,000 from uh, stall holders, licensee holders to sell drinks and food. Um, and that's it. <laughs> and uh, the big challenge is that they're not paying their... They, they 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 do hand out grants, and I don't know how much that is because it hasn't been disclosed, but they do hand out some sort of funding to community groups. But, like, the dancers on the procession and sound systems, none of those people are paid for being a part of this event. They fund themselves or they go out and, you know, do, find their own way of funding whatever they're doing. And you just think, isn't that a huge shame? And and the biggest, biggest problem of it is is that if you, if they don't have any surplus, and this is a part of the conversation, so when I said that, there were obviously people who were like, You shouldn't monetize carnival. It's a cultural, important event. And if you put brands all over it or you you can't charge for it and da, 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 da. But I was just like, it's not really about how you get it. It's the fact that you don't have any surplus. So basically, if any of the local um, uh, councils and boroughs say they're no longer funding and supporting this or allowing us to put on, they have no plan B. There's no way they can go out and be like, all right, we're going to go buy a field. In Essex, And we're just going to move it to this field. And we now own this field and just turn it into a Glastonbury type event. They literally just have to sit there and, and try to get political pressure. And all of us would be on Twitter being like, hey, put, put the event back on. It's really important to us. But also as an organization, you just have to have your, your things together. You need to be in control of your own destiny. And, and, and by contrast, it's not a like for like comparison, but Glastonbury has reserves of like 52 million that sit there for all contingencies. So in COVID, that was one of the contingencies. If there's mass flooding, they're able to spend extra bit of money to like secure the space. And, you know, if there's a threat or something, whatever the thing is, they just have money to help with their plan. It doesn't require them to go back out and raise more money. And I think that's a really, really important thing to preserve our culture. Um, do, you, do you have a, a view on that in terms of what we should do with it and being free versus charged and how it should generate money?
3: I mean this is the first time like I didn't I wasn't privy to these numbers and to this information like I had no ideas of the like bureaucratic side of things and the processes and how it all works but I think one thing like you it it really really is a testament to how important this is to people the fact that these people are running it year in year out with 57 pounds in reserves and the fact that no one people are yet to yet to push like the monetary gain as like the main thing. I feel like it's just so indicative of how integral Notting Hill Carnival has become for like so many demographics in, in the whole country really. Um But I don't know. I don't know. It's kind, it's kind of upsetting because the only thing that the thing that struck me is, is if they want to take it away, they can literally take it away. That's, that's what, that's the, that's the thing. And you know, they, they love to take, they love to take things away. And with the way the country's going at the minute, I don't, I wouldn't, I really wouldn't be surprised if, if they, if they done that within, like, within the near future. Um, And I feel like in terms of carnival and things like that, I feel like community, that community engagement, again, is so, is so important. And the more people that recognise the history of carnival and why it exists and the more people who emotionally ev- invest in those facts and in that history the more people that are the more people are going to to stand for it and want to contribute to put it in a place where you know it, it is a lot more secure because that, as it stands some people think it's just a party some people think it's for black british history and so emotionally you're not really invested so but if you can really invest in kind of like the roots and and why why it was here and why it's so significant, and if and if that education is more consistent, because I feel like the more years that pass, the less and less people kind of understand what the point of it was, and the and the and the less and less people understand the point of it, it will be so, again, it would be so much easier for people to diminish it to just. Oh, it's just the party. It's not that important or it's too dangerous or, you know, the trade off, the trade off isn't important enough. Um, And so I think in terms of the monetary thing and that side of things, no, I don't have a solution. But I definitely think that leading up to to Carnival, in terms of that community engagement, we really, really need to figure out, uh, out a way so that people know what the hell it is and what the hell it's about. Because at the moment, I saw some questions on Twitter before before carnival and people were literally asking essentially like oh well what's it what is it what is it for and I was like damn this has been going on for so many years and we're so old and it wasn't a judgement it was because I don't know that much about it like I wouldn't say like my history is like is very thorough but even the fundamental things people are unaware of and I was like damn like that's crazy and that's so unfortunate that we all love this thing so much but we don't actually know we don't actually see the real value in it um Mm.
1: So like I, so, yeah. I, 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 after I posted that post and it, and it, there was a, quite a lot of response from people. And obviously it's a mixed bag. Some people are like, close it. It's a horrible place to be. We know who those people are. And and then some people are like, it's just a great event. We need to preserve it at all costs. Some people are like, yeah, we do need to evolve it somewhat to make it sustainable. And so I was like, I don't want to be one of those people that just point out horrible like, you know, challenges that an organization faces. So I was like, let me sit there and think what actually could. They do. So I'll share some with you. One is to make sure we keep it free at the point of entrance at all times. So anything that goes into a park that's ticketed is disgusting and it's not the spirit of what it is that we're doing. Uh, The second thing is easily like a a headline sponsor. So as I mentioned before, the dancers don't get paid and much of the people who are volunteering, it requires a significant amount thousands of volunteers every year to do that and to steward. Um, and, I, and I don't feel that like that's fair for an event like to ask people to steward especially in the cost of living crisis you're donating your whole day um, to not participate in it and enjoy it but to like help facilitate it it's noble I'm not dishonouring it it's very noble um, but that's really important so a headline sponsor they actually haven't had a sponsor since the mid 90s when Coca-Cola sponsored it with the Lilt brand uh, in the mid 90s so that that's how long it's been which is now like 25 almost 30 years ago wow Yeah, almost 30 years ago. Um, The next thing is uh, keeping the carnival procession soaker and calypso. So now I appreciate that people like to hear hip-hop and burner boy on floats, but having gone to Antigua and Jamaica Carnival, and if Jamaica can honour the traditions of carnival and they have raga and reggae and and all that, and and it's such a dominant sound and so easily transferred into, and they can keep their floats soaker and calypso it, it's, a, it's a mood. It's so hard to be angry while I dancing to Koko and Soka.
3: Yeah, I feel like the people who are arguing for like the other genres... I find it a bit disrespectful. I do find it a bit disrespectful just simply because, no, do you know what? I don't even find the argument disrespectful. I I find people's tone disrespectful. People have been quite condescending and they've, they've, they've reduced it to things like jealousy and being haters. And this is not me saying that there aren't people who are like that. But what I'm saying is, if you care about the integrity of the conversation, you will not draw the focus to those arguments because the people who know what they're talking about are not haters they're not being jealous they're just trying to communicate to you why it's so why it's so important and i think to, to i think to act like you don't understand why you know particularly the floats um and the main procession to act like you don't understand why that needs to be overwhelmingly you know soca and calypso like where like where have you been like what what like where have you been what do you think what do you think it is and this idea that oh it needs to change with the times that's not how tradition, that's not how tradition, that's not how tradition works. That's not how you honour a tradition. I'm not saying adjustments don't need to to be made in order to keep it relevant. But culturally, the most relevant part of it is the soka and the calypso. So those, I found those arguments really, um, really self, really self-like self-serving like people were thinking about what they want and how the thought of it makes them feel as opposed to okay this is what Carnival is this is why it was started this was the purpose and this is how we maintain that I don't think anyone
1: I think everyone we're we're talking about the. we're being too
3: inclusive now It's too much gatekeepers
1: (laughs) (laughs) and I think the fact that we're talking about being uh, it's just a procession we're talking about if you want to have offshoots events and you know, a bar that's playing music. That's like off carnival route. That's fine. is yeah, have- what it is. But the actual procession should be just maintained. So that's really key. The other one was just like adding, added mobile to signal towers. It's absurd that you get there and you, or your phone stops working for six hours. If you lose your friend, it's a wrap. You basically keep walking until you run into somebody else that you knew and you make them your new best friend. And like, it could also be a safety issue, but it just would really help if we were able to get full on connectivity um, for carnival as well. Uh, the other one is like branded zones um, for different sub-sales and chill spaces. So I also think like VIP spaces that you can have VIP spaces that were formal carnival spaces that were curated, that had, you know, comfortable chairs, high quality toilets, good food that you could just access at different points. Some people would just pay for it I think I would For the comfort Just to know that My toilet wasn't being used By 9,000 people In the last hour and a half That would make me feel better And some people Would be willing to pay And I, and I don't want to make it Cost for everybody But if you if you are open To doing it And it's your thing I think you should be able to um, I also think the, the parents and children zones Like I think a lot of Parents would avoid Carnival And while they go to it There's a lot of them But there's some who would just be like I don't want to go Because it's just A logistical nightmare the things you need to carry with you when you have a child, and you need a safe space to change them, feed them, you need a rest space. You might be tired, and I don't think those spaces are are facilitated. And then, and it's so raw when you're there. It's just kind of like dance or get out of the way. So it doesn't really like include that kind of safe space for especially very young children uh, or parents who are a bit more like vulnerable or, or fearful. So actually, having zones and spaces for parents would be a nice value it, and also disabled people as well just to get a respite um the other thing was charging stations the idea that like you just have to go to buy one of those terrible things from the thing that normally explode when you charge them overnight but like yeah, the fact that they don't have formal charging stations is a missed opportunity well charges
3: uh, what for well, footfall with that many people in one place
1: well like, i feel like if you and i wouldn't suggest that you have to leave your phone there but like you can you can hire charging stations that you can just sit and stand by your phone because if you if you again if you lose your phone or your phone dies in carnival that's a wrap for your carnival unless you luckily run into something or someone else again and it's that it's just yeah. the idea of being disconnected like i remember well, my sister um, that's hmm? a
3: part of the exp- that's a part of the experience not having reception and losing your friends it's like, character
1: just <laughs> character building i love that and the thing is and that's a part of it. Whereas I feel like you and I probably know enough people where it's like, eh, and you'll go and then there'll be someone, you know, and you're with them for half an hour. Then you meet somebody else for half an hour. Yeah. So I think we get away with that. Most people don't have that luxury. Their three free friends that they came from Nottingham with are the only free friends that they know in Carnival. Yeah. So um, that was another thing. Uh, the other thing was just about live streaming it so the world can see. So it's a bit like it becomes a thing that people get to watch and observe. And like zooming in, people having a good time. I think people would love just to watch the bits and bobs of carnivores as and when they're happening. Um, and then the other one was just like again an, an app that allows you to like find your friends. I have this thing about losing friends. Clearly, there's some trauma there. But like an app, having <laughs> having, a, having a not any old carnival app where it's like this is where you're going. Like, I live in London, I still don't understand West London. And every time I go there, it's a traumatic experience of feeling like, I don't even know where I am. Where are you? I'm by a building. It's dark-browed. Like, it's residential. There's a bus stop. And everyone's just looking around like, I don't know where you... And they could be three feet away from you. You just don't know. So having an app and being like, this is my group of friends, and, like, they are forward for 30 yards and left, and they, I will find them would be an incredible experience that people would love to have. Also, just where is everything? I remember going to Carnival and every year trying to find Rampage and never being able to find Rampage. And that just became like a whole thing. And then by the time we found them, we had split into tiny groups um, and it was dangerous. <laughs> so it wasn't a good idea. So yeah, those, those things for me. And I think also the last thing is like letting police officers continue to engage. I quite like them winding up and vibing and, and moving their waist I feel like being connected to our community, it shows that they're human beings and not just there to cause headache for everybody. And the fact that they had a mandate to say they're no longer to participate is typically the most British thing ever. So I that's...
3: ...be disgusting because these same, the same government will, be, will, will, will approach organisations and be like, how can we make the police more relatable to young black people? How can we, you know, how can we diminish the hostility between, you know, the ethnic minorities and, you know, the metropolitan... Suck my
1: ass.
3: <laughs> <laughs> if that's one person I will never work with, it's the police. Never.
1: Yeah. We have a we have a list of people that we've tried to have a conversation on, and we're just like, we just have to say no. It's not workable. The, the, it's so institutionally what it is that there's no way of finding yep. a positive outcome. And, yeah, you're you're gonna you're gonna come at words for words, or you're just gonna be used. They'll take a picture with you and be like, we had a sit down with <laughs> Marvin Harrison and then they'd be like, we ain't doing shit. We're still racist and the new commissioner's white, old and male um, and it's like we've seen it before.
3: They are disgraced. I feel very strongly about the police state. So.
1: I'm trying to move from a loving place that's, in my <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. I want to move from a loving I, place. I that
3: might need an intervention. It's not healthy.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm here for interventions. I've, I've run a couple, and they've done very, very well, and we've healed.
3: Yeah, hard no for me. <laughs> you know, exactly. I'll leave the intervention. I'm fine. <laughs> just...
1: No, no, we're going to do it anyway because you've already asked now. So it's just going to happen when you least <laughs> to expect it. You're going to be coming home with a cup of tea, putting your feet up, and I'm going to be like bring everyone around and a couple of police officers and be like, "How do you really feel? Share um, with
3: well, if, I, <laughs> if I if I could." like search my name on Twitter and the amount of times I've said like I could never in this lifetime or the next ever be with a police officer just randomly I just think about it and I am just feel so compelled to communicate if anyone's forgotten I still could absolutely <laughs> you not said you ever so basically
1: the guy is tall handsome Michael B. Jordan like and he works for the Met and you're like no don't care what? don't care I Means I feel like there's a whole new podcast about your aspirations for love and, and what that looks like because I feel like that's a that's a fair... That's a, you know... Because whatever you pick here, yeah, there's going to be a part of his life that is unworkable. And this is what I accept as well. It's not 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 you being a police officer. No, I, f- I feel like that's low on the... rack Because we're dealing with people who are absolute blood clots. And then you're like, police officer, and you're like, oh, it was going so well. <laughs> okay. Don't tell anybody you're a police officer.
3: No, I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't. I just feel like the work that I do, just mm. knowing how... And don't get me wrong, yeah, I know there's good police officers, blah blah blah. I know there
1: are. <laughs> I, <even> believe it.
3: <laughs> I just not I'm not burdening myself figuring out which one you are. And I also find you know what? We're gonna we're gonna go off track. Enough time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: as a black man, why do you want to yeah. be a let's talk about that. Let's unpack that. I thought that.
1: I you know it is, as you were speaking here, I felt a person coming out and, and like there was there's an energy that was shifting. It was a whole new thing. We do need to unpack that a different podcast for sure. How you can definitely get that. A black
3: officer on the podcast and, and we can talk about it. But
1: oh hell yeah, I've, let's do! I've
3: never actually spoken to a black police officer. I don't think I've spoken you to serious? Yeah, I don't. Not I can never like never sat down and had a conversation with one. No, I don't meet them very often.
1: And We need to. We need to do another episode because I I, I so do tons to them.
3: Actually, sit down and be like, so why did you want to do this? Because I just assume people are megalomaniacs when they want to be police officers like how can you be like how can you how can you like how can you professionally look for people's trouble like you you wake up in the morning you leave your house to just look for problems how can that be <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> we have to be a part of the solution okay we we are the responsible moral fiber of, of blackness and we have to figure mm-hmm. out solutions we can't dismiss
3: oh I'm, I'm an abelius now so I uh-huh. I don't know much about
1: it. I, I, that's, I decided. <laughs> okay, cool. Let's not think any further because I think we need a therapist to support us in this transition. And then <laughs> when, you, when you are in love with your police officer and you're holding hands, I'll be just, def- I'm coming to your wedding. That'll be an, that'll be a... Oh, no, I goodness. have I have my man and
3: he's definitely not a police officer so we good over
1: here. <laughs> um, brilliant. Do you have any final words on, on Carnival? Um, and also tell us to everyone where we can find you on. Uh, um, and hear more about the amazing things you're doing.
3: Carnival, I just, I hope I hope that is somewhere wh- that still exists and I can be like, I can take my kids on a Sunday. I, d- I don't want to see it go anywhere. Um, that would be really, really, really devastating. Um, and also just think about how we can, you know, events and such around carnival, like after parties and so on and so forth, how can we make those more... Because, you know, carnival, obviously, the way it is right now, it's not particularly accessible. So what can we do to make things more accessible, you know, for people... Um, Around those times, but a live stream is a fantastic idea. That's a brilliant idea. You can have like carnival parties. We can go and enjoy without having to actually be there. So, yeah. yeah. If you ever want to make that yeah, a
1: reality have on, on that basis? that have been good for for you.
3: Yeah. <sighs> that, that. Yeah. But um. Ooh. But yeah. From me, man. I just hope. You you? I hope um. I hope everyone looks for me on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I have a TikTok, but I haven't, I haven't mustered up the courage to actually use it yet. So don't bother. But all of my socials are underscore A-Z-R-Y-A-H. Keep it nice and simple. Um, And I've got my blog, Mind Map, and I also have my podcast coming out at the end of the month.
1: Amazing. Looking forward to it. You should definitely get on TikTok. I've already got a million, 1.1 million views on something I've done. And and my life changed. I, I had to get a new agent.
3: Yeah, I've, honestly, I've been thinking about how I'm going to set it up in my room, but we'll we'll see, we'll see. I'll do the podcast do first, it. and then we'll
1: I'm looking forward to it. Basically, I, I just when I, when I see people that I like, I just I get in touch because I want to see stuff. That's that's basically it. I want I want to see you on TikTok, so I'm just like, oh, what do you think about that? That's basically why <laughs> I I want
3: it actually works. That that stuff today with my laptop really scared me. We had some technical difficulties at the beginning. And um, so, yeah, I need to make sure my laptop is actually, like,
1: suitable for recording this stuff. But um, we're, we're yeah. going to have to send you to Curry's because Mac, Mac is the only thing that I trust. I won't even turn anything else on because there's no point. I just don't believe in PCs.
3: <laughs> yeah, I only got it this year. I only got it a few months ago. It's 2021.
1: What? Then, then clearly you're working too hard on it because whatever was going on was a mad thing, fam.
3: I'm thinking it may be because my laptop has been plugged into a monitor all day. Then I connected my webcam through my monitor. <laughs> wow.
1: so, hey, you, over, you overloaded it. Plus 900 so, browsers.
3: Yeah. I'm hoping that's what it was. And if I just get use my um, adapter thing, it will all work. So fingers crossed, because otherwise there ain't, ain't going to be no podcast.
1: <laughs> cool. Uh, brilliant. Thank you so much. I very much appreciate you taking time out. Um, it was a great conversation. We're going to find a police officer. And we're going to trigger you some more on the podcast and we'll look out for
3: that. No, city, time, date. I'm there because I need, there's a lot I need to, there's a lot I need to unpack. I need to work through this. I really need to sit down and, you know, let this
1: out. We, we may have to get a therapist to help us mediate as well. Because what I can't have you is just launching into a police officer while I'm there and they have my email address and my detail, and my company number. I'm just saying, oh, I, I, I have go oh, in the future.
3: <laughs> as long as he don't get smart with me, <laughs> we good.
1: Oh, wow. Okay, well, we might put that under somebody a brand new pod. Let's do it on your podcast. <laughs> Let's you do it on what? yours.
3: No, 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 I'm not joking. Thank you. Because I'm outlining my next episode tonight before I go to sleep. I need a police officer. A black. I'm here to
1: help, and I, I, I will happily join for that purpose. But you know, maybe my like softly warm mediocre platform is not the right place for you to yell at a police officer. My police officers like I have a different fear. I have a fear of avoidance, <laughs> which is like leave me alone. I don't care what you have to just leave you alone. Someone reached out to me and they were like, "Mom, we love the work you're doing. Um, You know, I can't remember what it was. I think it was like safety around women. And I was like complaining just about the conduct of police officers. And they were like, "Mom, we should definitely talk about this. And I was like, look, I'm going to be honest, man. I I feel like you could help and it could be useful, but it's not for me. I'm not the person. I'm too traumatised. I've lived with you for way too long in my teens and early twenties. And I I don't want to hang out with any of you. (laughs) I just like to keep it real
3: it gets like that see so we're basically on the same page
1: we are but I'm avoided you are confrontational I'm avoided with
3: it I don't want want to confront you I would love I would love to know what compels like sincerely I would love to know like the process what compelled someone at what point in their life did they decide they wanted to be a police officer and like how much of those like altruistic and like good intentions how, how, how easy how easy is it to maintain that once you actually get in because it's an awful institution to work for horrible so yeah
1: Cool. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking time no. out, and uh, hopefully, people follow you and continue this amazing conversation. This has actually been the longest podcast I've done in probably about a year and a half, so this is also really good. I'm breaking the hour. Anymore, so I can day it. talk. No, no yeah, we both did a bit of that. It's cool. Thank you. Good speak to no, Dope no Black Podcast.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinns.